what can a published study and an excerpt from my first book explain about ADHD, empathy, and the neurotransmitter dopamine? That's what this podcast is all about. It's another one of my most popular articles at my blog in audio version. That's ADHD Roller Coaster, the first website of any kind on adult ADHD founded in 2008 and still going. Hi, I'm Gina Para, and I started noticing a remarkable phenomenon 20 years ago in the discussion groups I facilitated here in Silicon Valley for adults with ADHD and for loved ones, two separate groups. That is, stimulant medication, which we know targets dopamine, seem to be enhancing empathy, or at least the ability to act on empathy for many adults with ADHD. How is this possible? In this podcast, I'll tap, tackle the topic from three angles. First, defining empathy. It's not what most people think. At least it's more complex. Two, exerting a passage on empathy and relationships from my first book. And three, sharing details from yet another study pointing to a connection between dopamine and so-called cognitive empathy. Cognitive, uh, the word describes thinking. That refers to thinking, cognition, cognitive. So thinking empathy, which I'll define more in a minute. Here's a spoiler alert. Stimulation, stimulant medication often enhances empathy in people with ADHD. But wait, this happens not because the medication creates empathy. Rather, the medication enhances dopamine transmission. That, in turn, allows some people with ADHD to focus on and access their innate higher-order brain function of empathy and maybe other higher-order brain functions such as conscience and reflection and altruism. In fact, it's one they've always possessed but haven't been able to reliably access. And that must be very frustrating to feel that you're having empathy, but to learn from those around you that it doesn't seem obvious. So, low empathy and narcissism. What's the connection? We can think of low empathy as fertile ground for narcissistic behavior. When you're not thinking of other people, when you're not thinking about how they might feel or consequences for them, you can do some very narcissistic things. But the trouble is, narcissism has been seen as a very poor prognosis. That is, it does not respond to treatment. That's one reason I felt it's so important to share this topic in my first book and um, this ongoing research. In the early days, when I used to share this possibility in mental health professional groups and even some ADHD professional groups years ago, wow, the blowback was fierce. You'd, you would have thought I was just a flaming heretic there to just upset everything. Didn't I know that narcissists never change? It's a very poor prognosis, psychiatrists would lecture me, and they'd be 
I didn't understand why they'd be so angry about it. To me, it seemed like good news, right? Here's something we can do something about. But no, some people have trouble taking in new information or they don't have the brain-based understanding, the neuroscience understanding of what creates behavior. Anyway, it's hard for me to overstate how commonly mental health professionals see narcissism or even narcissistic personality disorder, which has a very specific criteria list, when there is instead poorly managed ADHD. And I tell you what, in recent years, the internet practically burst with sensationalist articles on narcissism. It's a very powerful keyword if you want to search engine optimize your website so Google search brings people to you. And this includes alleged psychologists with alleged specialties in this area. And the thing is, these people are always very sure. They're very confident that what they say is true. And there's no gray area, no gray area that I see. So this is very appealing to some people because confidence sells. You know, I'm not saying these people are con artists, but I'm just saying con is the first word, the first syllable in confident. This point is critical and in a very practical sense, revolutionary. Low empathy sometimes increases with ADHD medication. Until individuals and couples and mental health professionals understand this, the risk is a far more permanent label narcissist. My friend Taylor J., a late diagnosis woman with ADHD who grew up with what she described as two narcissistic parents, shared her concerns about her daughter in another uh, podcast and blog post called ADHD and Empathy Was I Raising a Narcissist? Empathy sounds simple, but it's really a complex phenomenon. In fact, some people with ADHD have trouble reining in their empathy. They might even call themselves empaths, as I explained below. But guess what? Stimulant medication often helps them too. Not because, well, not because it eliminates their empathy, but because it helps them to regulate it. And that, if you read, if you go through my courses or my book, I like to describe that as a just simple way of understanding the central challenge in ADHD, whether it's finances or work or whatever. The issue is self-regulation, not overdoing, not underdoing, but finding the middle ground. Hang in there. Uh, these concepts should become more clear as, as we go. And I encourage you to read the comments at the blog post for uh, some really illuminating first-person insights. Point. Empathy is not sympathy or compassion. We often confuse empathy with these behaviors, like kindness, too. Empathy is not those behaviors or traits, though it might accompany them. The most commonly accepted understanding of empathy is this. It's the quality that lets us get in another person's head. When we empathize, we momentarily step outside of our own needs, thoughts, and desires, and we contemplate, thinking, about what another person might be feeling. 
Now, there's a difference between being empathic and relating. For example, if you've been in a bad car accident, you are probably better able to relate to the experiences of other people who survive car accidents. You, quote, know how it feels. But what if you've never been in a car accident? Thank goodness. What is the mental cognitive process that allows you to imagine what it's like for someone else? That's a very simple example, but it's meant to drive home the point. Empathy is what allows us to imagine what another person is feeling, even if we've never been in that situation ourselves. Moreover, empathy can allow us to step back from our own emotions, for, to, to pause before projecting what we feel, and so projecting on that person our feelings. It allows us to step back from also when you're disagreeing with someone or even someone's opposing you, if you can still kind of step back and understand where they're coming from and what might have made them come up with these conclusions, that's empathy too. The cognitive scientists, again, cognitive scientists, scientists who study cognition, have terms for various types of empathy, but the one we're most familiar with is called cognitive empathy. And again, it simply means imagining how the other person feels and what they might be thinking, even if you have not had direct experience with that thing. It's also called perspective taking. It's also called walking in another person's moccasins. So to recap on on that issue, empathy is not compassion or kindness, not exactly, and it's not sympathy or charity either. And contrary to widespread perception, and I tell you, I see this in social media, it's, it's a knee-jerk response. Having empathy for a person doesn't mean forgiving that person or letting someone off the hook. On the simplest level, again, empathy is simply being able to understand where that person is coming from. Being able to empathize is key to successful negotiations, including in personal relationships. My book is talking about adult ADHD in general, how it manifests the treatment strategies. But I also talk about the potential effect on partners and other loved ones. So being able to empathize with each other, whether you have ADHD or your partner has ADHD or both or either, this can help us to understand why we do some of the things we do and with any luck helping to do better. So impaired empathy can destroy relationships where ADHD symptoms go unrecognized and or unaddressed. It's just a bridge too far between the symptoms and the lack of empathy. But deficits in empathy, remember, can cut both ways in ADHD challenge relationships. Typically, both partners become more mutually empathic once they both start learning about the causes and varied manifestations of ADHD. Consider this excerpt from my book. In it, I name low empathy, as one of the three common ADHD-related deficits that can derail relationships on the ADHD roller coaster. 
My wife seems to have empathy for movie characters, stray animals, or the grocery store clerk, Alex offers. But when it comes to her husband and teenage daughter, she often acts downright self-centered. Actually, empathy involves two sets of skills, according to psychologist Robert Brooks. One, the ability to take the perspective of another person, and two, the ability to understand and identify emotions. Yet, for many people with ADHD, the world can seem so chaotic and their focus so erratic, they don't even know what they feel, much less what someone else feels. Even if an adult with ADHD possesses both sets of empathic skills, the person's impulsivity or rigidity, kind of black and white thinking, might obscure seeing the world through another person's eyes. And if a person is lacking in empathy, Brooks adds, he or she is likely to misread a situation and misunderstand the intentions of others. They often expect others to adapt to them, but they aren't as willing to change themselves. It could be that change seems impossible, out of the question, not even a consideration. And the resulting feeling of powerlessness frustrates them in even more. So let's talk about stimulant medication and how it might enhance empathy. In general, we can't assume that all humans are capable of normal levels of empathy. There is no such thing. Empathy is largely a function of the brain, and the human species has a range of capacities in a bunch of areas. Empathy, intelligence, uh, athletic uh, ability, many things. As I mentioned earlier, treating with ADHD with medication often enhances the ability to act empathically. Certain coexisting conditions, however, such as some in the autistic spectrum, complicate the picture. So we're just, we're talking about ADHD right now. And don't worry, elsewhere in the book, I address the empathy deficits in the partners of adults with ADHD. And remember, some of them, it's, I don't think it's as big a number as some people say, some of them have ADHD too. And again, empathy distributes on a continuum among humans. There's no one size fits all. In a minute, I'll share a few details from a 2015 study from the University of California, Berkeley, published in the journal Current Biology. It isn't the first, though, to examine the effects of dopamine in the brain when it comes to empathy. For example, one 2014 study showed that gender plays a role in cognitive empathy. The paper is entitled, the dopamine D4 receptor gene shows a gender-sensitive association with cognitive empathy, evidence from two independent samples. This study bears a particular relevance to ADHD because this D4 gene variant has been associated with ADHD, but it is not exclusive to ADHD. It's worth noting, since we're talking about these uh, D4 variants, women of a certain gene variant, the seven repeater allele, scored higher in cognitive empathy than female non-carriers. 
I wonder if this might explain the folks who call themselves empaths. As far as I know, the only empaths are the telepathic betazoids on Star Trek. But I'm seeing the term bandied about a lot these days, applying to regular humans. In my opinion, we only very cautiously assume that we know how another person is feeling. Because sometimes this could spring from overconfidence and grandiosity and trouble picking up the signals in more direct ways. But for sure, this genetic variant was associated with higher cognitive empathy. In men, however, those with the 7R variant scored lower than men who did not have it. Aren't genes complicated? Now, the UC Berkeley researchers took a different approach in their 2015 paper called Dopamine Modulates Egalitarian Behavior in Humans, or Follow the Money. Study participants on two separate visits received a pill containing either a placebo or a medication called tolcopone. I think that's how you pronounce it. Tolcopone prolongs the effect of dopamine, which we've learned by now, right, is a neurotransmitter associated with reward and motivation in the brain. Stimulant medications such as Ritalin and Vyvanse also target dopamine. They slow the reuptake of dopamine at the synapse, that is, the little gap between neurons in a neural pathway. Tocopone works a bit differently. This FDA-approved drug is used to treat people with Parkinson's disease, a progressive neurological disorder affecting movement and muscle control, which are also affected by dopamine. The double-blind study of 35 participants included 18 women. Neither participants nor study staff knew which pills contained the placebo or tolcopone. Participants then played a game in which they divided the money among themselves and an anonymous recipient. The result? Participants receiving tolcopone divided the money with the strangers in a fairer, more egalitarian way compared to participants who received the placebo. According to the press release at UC Berkeley website, Altering brain chemistry makes us more sensitive to equality. According to the lead investigator, Dr. Andrew Kaiser at the UCSF School of Medicine, by connecting to previous studies showing that economic inequity is evaluated in the prefrontal cortex, a core area of the brain that dopamine affects, this study brings researchers closer to pinpointing how pro-social behaviors such as fairness are initiated in the brain. We have taken an important step toward learning how our aversion to inequity is influenced by our brain chemistry, said the study's first author, Ignacio Saez, a postdoctoral researcher at the Haas School of Business. Studies in the past decade have shed light on the neural circuits that govern how we behave in social situations. What we show here is one brain switch we can affect. The researchers also say that future research may lead to a better understanding of the interaction between altered dopamine brain mechanisms and mental illness, such as schizophrenia or addiction and potentially light the way to possible diagnostic tools or treatments for those disorders. 
again from Dr. Kaiser, our hope is that medications targeting social function may someday be used to treat these disabling conditions. In conclusion, this is a small study, one that remains to be replicated. I'm not sure what to make of the fact that it was jointly sponsored by the School of Business and the Neuroscience Center with funding from sources including the Defense Department. Be that as it may, the study adds to the increasing body of research around the role of dopamine and so-called pro-social behaviors, such as fair-mindedness and empathy. We have a long way to go to even begin to address the complexity here. My main point here is to show from several different angles that empathy is not always a fixed quality. And sometimes empathy is obscured by ADHD symptoms. Address those symptoms and either a side effect or part of the treatment is that native or innate empathy is enhanced. If you have a comment on this topic, be sure to share it at the ADHD roller coaster. Thanks for listening.